You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Wednesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the podcast each week where you take control of the discussion and I respond to your items that have been sent in. And let's do that. Let's start with Brian. Brian says, two things for you this week, Joe. First, Carlos Dunlap on a minimum deal. I know there was a lot of fans clamoring for him at the deadline and he was just let go by Seattle. Would you like him on a one-year minimum type deal? I would absolutely love to have Carlos Dunlap on a minimum deal. So that's without hesitation a move that I would love to see. I don't know that you get him for a minimum deal, but if you do, the Bills should be all over that. The second question from Brian was, how do you think the Dak Prescott deal will impact the money Josh Allen gets? Would you be willing to give Allen that sort of money this offseason, or would you want to wait to see one more year of elite production before giving him $130 million guaranteed. If I'm the Bills, I number one, I pick up the fifth-year option for Josh Allen, and then I offer him the exact deal the Dallas Cowboys gave Dak Prescott. The exact one. There's some rumblings about how the salary cap could go up as high as $250 million within the next five years with the new TV money that's coming into the league, I am not thinking twice about paying Josh Allen right now because it's never going to be cheaper than it is today. And if he's your guy, he's your guy. And that dude was elite last year. In the Performance Review Series podcast, I really kind of broke down this a little bit more in depth. But now that we've seen the Dak Prescott deal, I'm not thinking twice about it. I'm giving that to Josh Allen right now picking up that fifth-year option, and rolling with Josh Allen. Kevin says, in light of the Prescott deal, on Good Morning Football, they said that they expect Josh to get $40 million a year, no doubt. Peter Schrager said it's hard to build a football team when someone is making that much. It is unchartered waters for Bills fans to have this problem. Do you feel the Bills can continue to build a consistent winner with that deal? The Packers seem to manage okay. The cap could also explode in the future due to TV deals, which could ease the pain. So yes, number one, you mentioned the TV deals. I think that is something to monitor, and that's going to really help the Bills and other teams that are paying big money for franchise quarterbacks. But I do feel it is more challenging to field an upper echelon roster when you're committing that much cap space to your quarterback, but it's even harder to win football games when you don't have a quarterback worth paying. What this comes back to, and I've said it a lot, this comes back to drafting well. You have to hit on draft picks. You have to get cheap labor. You have to get big-time value with your contracts, and the way you do that is by hitting on players in the draft and having meaningful contributions from players on rookie deals. So part of that comes with maneuvering a little bit in the draft, being willing to trade back, and accumulate more draft capital so you have more opportunities to hit on draft picks. And then the compensatory pick formula finally comes into the equation for the Bills. Because when you're paying your quarterback that much money, 
inevitably you're not going to sign as many players and more players are going to leave. And that opens up the opportunity to add more mid-round draft picks while Brandon Bean and his staff have to do a great job hitting on picks in the second, third, fourth, fifth round so that the Bills can have a good enough roster around Josh Allen to compete. Vin says, happy Wednesday, Joe. I wanted to present a draft scenario and wanted to know what you would do. And if you could explain your reasoning as well, please. Buffalo does not retain either Matt Milano or Daryl Williams. You're on the clock at 30. Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle, Oklahoma State. Kadarius Toney, wide receiver, Florida. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, linebacker, Notre Dame. Jalen Mayfield, offensive tackle, Michigan. And Liam Eichenberg, offensive tackle, Notre Dame, are some of the notable names available to you. I like them all, Vin. You also have an offer to move down 10 spots and get another day two pick. What would you do? What would be your plan? I'll be honest, the most compelling player to sit there and pick is Tevin Jenkins. I'd love to get him at 30. I think he would not only solidify the pass-blocking dynamic at right tackle, but he would be an upgrade in the run game. I mean, that guy is nasty. He moves people against their will. I love him at right tackle. And part of me says, if I don't have Daryl Williams, I got to get a right tackle. I better sit here and get Jenkins. Now, with that said, I like the idea of moving back 10 spots and getting that additional day two pick. However, you're not going to get Tevin Jenkins most likely if you move back to pick 40 from pick 30. I still think there will be a reasonable option that I will like. And so I think that opportunity to get that extra top 100 pick is good enough for me to move back 10 spots because I think the Bills need to find more cheap labor. And I can still get a quality right tackle and I get another player in the top 100. I think that combination is the most appealing to me, especially when I know Jalen Mayfield's still on the board. Liam Eichenberg is still on the board. I like those guys as well. Not as much as Jenkins, but they're not that far behind, and I could settle on them to get that additional top 100 pick. Matt says, I am pretty confused on Ed Oliver. I know he was playing out of position at one tech this year, but you could also make the case that he was more out of position in his rookie year because all I heard about him was he was playing one tech in college, but he'll be even better at three tech in the NFL. It seems to me like he'd be more comfortable after getting a year to get used to the speed of, and level of play in the NFL and then getting to move back to his college position in year two. Not exactly sure what my question is here, but it's just odd to me that all I heard was that he had a down year this year. Well, I would say Ida Oliver did not have a down year rushing the passer. I was really happy with the way he rushed the passer. His down year came defending the run. And I do think there is a fundamental difference between playing one tech and three tech, particularly against the run. And he didn't really play one tech in college. He played head up over the center. He was a nose tackle in three and five man fronts, which is not the same as a one tech on an even front. He was a nose on odd fronts. It's a different position. So I see where you're going with this question, and I think it's a fair one to ask. But even though he played a more similar position to a one-tech in college, 
his skill set, his body type does not translate well to that spot in the NFL, and I think that's why he had a down year against the run. Again, as a pass rusher, I have no gripes about the season that Ed Oliver had in 2020. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. Now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It's Built Bar Madness. Today's matchup is banana nut bread versus toffee almond and orange versus peanut butter. I am voting for banana nut bread and I am voting for orange. Orange is like eating a Tootsie Pop. I love it. So those are my choices. If you want to vote, go to BuiltBar.com or to at Built underscore bar on Twitter to vote for your choice. Remember, when you purchase Built Bars, use our promo code LOCKDOWN20 to get 20% off your next order. That is LOCKDOWN20 to get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. The next one today comes from Edgar, who says, I've heard from different sources that we are a little bit under the salary cap. Other sources say that we are over the salary cap. What is the reality and why is there variation between the different sources on our cap situation? So according to overthecap.com, the bills are $1.9 million under the cap as of the recording of this podcast on Tuesday afternoon. That source is the one that I trust right now. Other sources don't factor in three different things. Number one, rollover cap which really just kind of got settled. And if you are guesstimating on rollover cap and you don't have the official numbers, that can skew it, especially when the bills are only projected 1.9 under the cap. I mean, if you had it at 3 million and it was actually five, well, then you're going to have the bills at, you know, even or or over the cap. Uh, Some sources don't correctly calculate the top 51 salaries because the salary cap is the total of the top 51 salaries on your team. If you're counting all of the salaries on the team, it's not an accurate projection. And then the last thing I'll say is that we haven't known exactly what the cap projection is going to be. And so if you're looking at one source that says the cap is at 175, one says 180, another says 185, there's just too many different variables that could be different depending on the source that leads to inconsistency when Uh, researching where the bills are at in relationship to being over or under the salary cap. Andy says, for herd mentality, can you talk about how you feel about this projection? And what Andy is referring to is a tweet that I sent out on the at Lockdown Bills handle on Twitter where I highlighted the offseason projections that Pro Football Focus had for the bills offseason. And they had a very aggressive haul for the Bills this offseason. They had Buffalo signing Richard Sherman, two years, $28 million. Matt Milano, four years, $45 million. Darrell Williams, three years, $31.5 million. Chris Carson, running back, three years, $27 million. And Trey Hendrickson, four years, $45 million. Not a chance, right? I mean, that's crazy. For the Bills to do all that, I just don't even think it's possible. Um, I guess I really like that Daryl Williams is back in this scenario. I'm a pretty big fan of Trey Hendrickson, although 
I don't think the Bills are in position to offer him that type of deal. I hate everything, and I mean everything, about the idea of paying Chris Carson three years, $27 million. That's against everything I believe in in terms of roster construction. And Chris Carson's always hurt, and his style of play suggests that he's always going to be hurt. No way. No thank you. Um, Milano back, I mean, sure, that sounds good to me. And then Richard Sherman, I recognize that Richard Sherman's a good player, and he's still playing well you know, at this point in his career. And on one hand, he's a great fit. He's a really good fit for the Bills' cover three defense. However, I'm hoping for more athleticism. I want a CB2 that can play a little man coverage. And going from Levi Wallace to Josh Norman to Richard Sherman, there's no real athletic upgrade there. I don't get more ability to play man coverage, so I don't like the idea of Richard Sherman on this deal. So there you go. That's that's how I feel about the projection. But overall, it's just it's not it's not reality based on the cap space that the Bills have. Adam says it appears that several new uniforms were leaked this week. Do you know what goes into the decisions or what rules there are for teams with regard to their uniforms and different variations they may have? I saw a picture a while back of Josh Allen wearing an all-Navy uniform, so I'm wondering if there are any plans for the Bills to add any, but it also may have been a mock-up. I think a throwback to the 90s uniforms with red helmets would be amazing if they changed the helmet rule. The NFL tried color rush on Thursday nights, but that didn't last long. Is there a new uniform style you would like to see teams try out? First of all, Adam, I love uniforms. I'm very into the aesthetics of football. I, I love it. I care a lot about it. I love critiquing uniforms and uh, you know ranking uniforms, all of that. I'm big into it. So I'll say this. Um, I would love to see the 90s uniforms come back like you know occasionally once a year or something like that. You know, you think about the modern stitching and, and the modern like helmets and, and stuff like that. I think it would look so good with that 90s Bills uniforms. As far as those Drew Bledsoe jerseys, that style, send those over Niagara Falls, never to be seen again. Those things were hideous, absolutely terrible. But I would love to see those 90s throwbacks. So I don't know all the rules when it comes to NFL uniforms. I know that you can only have one helmet shell, which obviously limits the uniforms that we can see. That's why you don't see the creamsicles with Tampa Bay. That's why you don't see the uh, the real throwbacks for the Denver Broncos. It's still that Navy helmet. You know, a lot of the great uniforms that I'd love to see, you just can't because you can only have one helmet shell uh, per player. Um, I think the way that it's set up is you have your your standard uniform kits, you have your color rush, and you have one throwback. I think that's what it comes down to, but it has to mesh with that one helmet shell that you're given. Otherwise, it's not an op- option for you. I don't know how the Oregon Ducks program can have you know a different helmet and uniform every single week but NFL teams can only have one helmet I mean come on we got to get this tightened up because I love seeing you know variations with uh, what teams do with their uniforms Nicole says with Eric Stokes 40 time at the event in Miami this past weekend would you feel comfortable with the Bills taking him at pick 30 if it came down to Stokes Travis Etienne or Najee Harris at pick 30 which one would you want the Bills to draft? Thank you and go Bills. I'll say this about Eric Stokes. I mean, even before he ran that 40, I was pretty high on him. thought he was a top 5-6 cornerback in the class. I think he'd be a good pick for the Bills at 30. Why? He brings athleticism to the table. He has ball skills, and he can play in man coverage. And I want to see 
The Bills bring in a guy that can do that. And plus, he's a corner. It's a premium position. So I pick 30. I'm all about Eric Stokes. I think he'd be a really nice player to add to the equation. You know, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris, they're good running backs, but they're running backs. And I don't want the Bills to draft either one of them at pick 30. If they were to pick one of those two running backs, I would much prefer Travis Etienne because I think his redeeming quality of speed plus receiving ability is more in line with what the Bills need uh, from the position. But in this scenario, uh, yeah, give me Stokes for sure. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL seasons are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, and they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the new scores and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Next one today comes from Cameron, who says, What do you think about the Bills trading John Brown this offseason for a different slash cheaper wide receiver? I love John Brown for the Bills, but sadly he's expensive and aging, plus he has an injury history, and the Bills need cap space. I would love if he could stay for cheap, but if not, do you have any suggestions for other wide receiver two options that they could trade Brown for? Well, I think the challenge with trading John Brown is exactly the concerns that you added here. He's expensive, aging, and has an injury history. So if you're thinking that the Bills can unload him and get something back, I think that's a challenge. Also, it's a really good crop of free agent wide receivers and receivers in the draft. So I don't know that John Brown's going to really bring back the value you're looking for if you were to you know, move on from him. Ideally, you would restructure John Brown and reduce his cap hit because I think he's got to know that. He's got to know the, the concerns that come with him and that there's a lot of good free, free agent wide receivers and receivers in the draft. So I think trading him becomes a challenging idea Um, And on yesterday's show, I went through the different wide receiver options that I like if the Bills do move on from John Brown, Kenny Stills, uh, Khalif Raymond, Nelson Aguilar. Those are the three guys that I thought could help replicate some of the dynamics that John Brown brought to the offense. Steve says, my nephew seems to think Dawson Knox is a poor blocker. I have nothing in terms of proof to counter him. I know you are on the Dawson Knox train given his elite physical gifts. Can you maybe shed some light on Dawson Knox blocking skills and if that is in fact a weakness? Also, do you think Bean's postseason presser where he called out the tight end group was more of a motivating ploy to get Knox going as opposed to him actually looking to bring in a new starter? I know you don't know the answer, but that's what popped into my head when he said that given we can't go out and get a Kelsey, but we potentially have one in the building. So let's talk about that second part first as far as Bean sending a message with that press conference. I don't know that Bean's ever done that. And I could be overlooking something obvious, but I've never known Brandon Bean or thought of Brandon Bean to be the type of guy that would send that type of message through the media. I would hope and expect that he would have an honest conversation with Dawson Knox that shared the concerns and said, hey, we need more from you and this is what We're expecting, and if you reach this caliber of play, this is what it means for your team. 
And that should happen as a one-on-one. I hope that wasn't the case with the messaging that Bean delivered to the media. Now, as far as Dawson Knox being a poor blocker, I don't think poor is an appropriate word to describe Dawson Knox's blocking. I think as a sniff blocker, he's really good. You have him leading into holes, making blocks on the perimeter, connecting with targets in space. You know, I think he does a good job in that role. Now, if you're asking him to move bodies in line, if you're asking him to you know, drive block a defensive end and widen the gap, that's going to be challenging for him. That's not necessarily a great use of his skill set. I don't think he's been very consistent in pass pro, but I think poor is far too aggressive of a word to describe Dawson Knox's blocking ability. I think as a sniff blocker, I think he's above average, and I think he's slightly below average as an inline blocker, both as a run blocker and a pass blocker. Jonathan says, if you were in charge of the Bills, what would your offseason plan be for Dawson Knox? I understand he's inconsistent, but what aspects of his game does he need to work on specifically? It's a good question, Jonathan. I think what it comes back to with Dawson Knox is time on task. He needs repetition. He's a guy that played quarterback in high school, was an afterthought in college at tight end, didn't even catch a touchdown pass, and has only been playing the position for two years in the NFL. He needs reps. He just needs more time running routes, catching footballs, getting stronger. Things have to become second nature to him. That way we don't see the variance, right? Everyone's frustrated with Dawson Knox when it comes to drops, which, oh, by the way, he cut his drop rate in half. Nobody wants to talk about that. From his rookie year to his sophomore year, that drop rate went in half. He just needs more time on task. Repetition. Things have to become second nature to him. And hopefully, that's the case in year three. Knox being an inconsistent player to this point is not surprising. And he's in, he's made some amazing plays. Some really exciting plays in contested situations. Some really good run-after-catch moments. I mean, the guy has elite physical tools. Now, we just need to see it all kind of come together and deliver consistency because he can really be a difference maker for this team. And I hope it happens this year. And I think more time on task and reps is what's going to make that possible. Scruggs says, man, what a season. Great job closing it out and transitioning to the new season. Excited to see how the Bills play their hand. Question one. I have been curious about your access to the Bills directly. Do you have media credentials or opportunities to speak with or ask questions of Bills staff and executives? I'm hoping you say that answering that would be a violation of your NDA with the team and the draft guidance you provide them. Well, you know, me and Brandon Bean, we do kind of see eye to eye with valuation of players based on the last two drafts. So I'm just saying. So I am not going to get specific with you, but I do have some high-ranking contacts within the organization. Now, with that said, I never really ask for scoops, and I don't view myself as a reporter. I view myself as an analyst, and so you know, I'm not looking for scoops. I'm not looking for nuggets. I'm not trying to break news or anything like that. I'm not trying to pretend I have sources. Other people can do that, and I'll respond to it. Um, I don't have media credentials with the Bills, and honestly, I've never thought about seeking them out since I live in Charlotte. I mean, the benefit to having credentials is that I could get into pressers and ask questions, but you know, I, I leave that to the Bills beat reporters. 
as far as like off season, I do see, you know, McDermott and Bean usually at the senior bowl and at the combine, which gives me the chance to ask the questions I'm most interested in, you know, from a media credential perspective, I, I can get into, you know, pretty much what I've wanted to, uh, but I've never really thought about trying to get credentials to the bills since I live in Charlotte. Uh, your second question was putting on your McBean hat of the priorities discussed recently, right tackle, CB2, edge, running back, wide receiver two, linebacker, tight end. What's your order of priority for resigning and in the draft? I look forward to the lockdown tailgate next season at Bill Stadium. As an Atlanta resident, that game gets my vote. I'll tell you what, I so badly want to get up there and to do a, a big tailgate. I've uh, mentioned to a few different people that I would love to get involved with that, and I want to bring my wife to a Bills game. I know that she wants to do that. Hopefully, you know everything is good to go, and we can we can do that because I I, I definitely want to. Uh, and so, if we can, we'll do it for sure. So, uh, here's the thing. You mentioned a lot of needs there. Right tackle, CB2 edge, running back, wide receiver two, linebacker, and tight end. As far as the draft, I want very few, if any, must-fill needs in the draft. The Bills are a contender. They're picking late in the draft. I don't want to go into pick 30 or any of the Bills picks saying, my goodness, we have to find a starter right here. We're talking key spots, and I know that rookies can come in and be quality starters, but I don't really want to count on that. So as far as my order of importance for the Bills' needs, number one is right tackle, number two is CB2, linebacker is three, edge is four, wide receiver two is five, and then tight end is six. And I'd, I'd add into your offensive line uh, probably – between edge and wide receiver too. Because right now, Bakker and Feliciano are free agents. So there's there's a lot of moves that need to be made here to shore up these holes. But uh, that's the way I stack the needs. Kyle says, McDermott and Bean have always talked about finding guys with the right DNA to build their team and culture. Are there any players projected in the first couple rounds that might potentially be good value in a position of need for the Bills that we as fans can almost rule them out as a selection based on them not fitting into that profile. Whether it be character concerns, poor work ethic, legal trouble, or etc. So I have three names that I have written down that I would probably cross off the list for the Bills based on what you said. I'm not going to get into specifics on you know exactly why, but these are three players that I think are early round guys that I don't think will be Buffalo Bills. Number one is Jalen Phillips, the edge rusher from Miami. Number two is Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. And number three is Ronnie Perkins, the edge from Oklahoma. Last one today comes from Tyler, who says, let's have some fun on this. You have been gifted the next NFL expansion team. Congratulations. And through your Bills coverage, you're allowed to select one of the following for your team. General Manager Brandon Bean, Coach Sean McDermott, or Coach Brian Dable? Who do you pick and why? Bean to build a roster from scratch? McDermott with his ability to get the best from lesser-valued guys and turn outsiders into stars, i.e. Milano and Poyer? Or Dable knowing you'll have to select a rookie quarterback to be the face of your franchise? I am picking Sean McDermott. 
All of those things, Brandon Bean and Brian Dable, came after Sean McDermott. I think McDermott is the most important piece of this equation to the Bills. I think McDermott, as the GM in 2017, crushed it. I mean, absolutely crushed that draft. He crushed that free agency period. Outside of just letting Stephon Gilmore walk without tagging and trading him, he crushed the offseason. Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer added to the mix. In that draft, Trey White, he got the additional first-round pick in the trade back with the Chiefs. Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins. I mean, the guy did a fantastic job. So McDermott's my pick. I think um, he's the one most responsible for what we love about the Buffalo Bills today. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. Tomorrow we are going to talk defensive free agent targets that I think the Bills should consider, so you have that to look forward to. Don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Rate, review, and share the podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.